0: Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. Good to see you all here. Love getting together on Sundays and being with you all. And my name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor at Valley Lights. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I would love to after our service. I'm going to start off with a question Would you consider yourself a people person? You know, some people are people 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 person. It's kind of a funny way to describe a person because we're all people, but are you a people person? Do you, do you like being around other people? Well, I suppose it depends on who you're around at the moment. <laughs> you know, I would guess you've got some people that you really like spending time with, and other people, it's a little bit more of a challenge. Hi. Um, we've got some, I, I'm saying hello because we've got some friends from our sending church here today um, Stone Arbor Church was a church where I was on staff at for about 15 years, and um, some of them have come to help us and our kids and with our hospitality. And um, if you're from Stone Arbor, I'm preaching the same message that Pastor Josh is because we're writing the series together. So you're not going to miss anything. So um, when it comes to, to being a, a people person, you know, sometimes you got people that you really like being around, and some people are a challenge. And um, I love the line from Lord of the Rings, when Pil- Bilbo Baggins, he shares this sentiment, he says, I don't know half as well as you, I don't know half as, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna try to say to you're going you're to be with me, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. <laughs> Is that it? You guys, have you seen that? Okay, yeah, there we go. Um, when I read Lord of the Rings to my kids, I do it in a British accent, because it's just, it's just right as best I can. <laughs> So Bilbo, you know, he's got some family members that he liked being around and others, maybe not so much. Our relationships in life have a really big impact on the atmosphere of our life. You know, a friend from church recently told me that uh, when he's at work, it can feel like a dark, worldly environment to be around just because of the language and the attitudes and, and the people that he spends eight to nine to 10 hours a day with. And then he says, when I, but when I get around people from church, it feels like a breath of fresh air. Oh, just to be around a different environment. And you might be here today because you're, you're hoping to get around some good people too. Maybe you need some positive influences in your life. And whenever people try to do life apart from God, things tend to get toxic and polluted. That's the way it goes. Relationships crumble. Emotions run the show and we can make damaging decisions that we regret. God is the designer of life on earth and wherever people are living according to his ways it's like a breath of fresh air to live according to God's ways. So God invites us to step into his kingdom and to live where he is and to live the way he does life, the way he's designed it and when we do that it's refreshingly different than what we normally do or places we find ourselves. So throughout this month, we're looking at different aspects of life in the kingdom of God. Those of us who follow Jesus, we will ultimately and totally end up in God's eternal kingdom. And we get to experience part of that right now. We're still here on earth in the physical, in the physical world, but he, he allows us to experience kingdom living now. And today... The, the kind of kingdom living that we're gonna talk about is relationships. How do you create good relationships? You know, with the people that you see every day, um, how, how can we develop more enjoyment and less mess and damage? That would be nice. And, and we're gonna look at a part of the Bible that highlights a very typical approach to relationships. And we're, we're gonna look at a strategy that I think we've all tried, And we have all suffered the consequences. And then we're going to see how Jesus blows everybody's minds and presents an approach that nobody ever thought of. So I'm going to read from um, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples, and uh, he records what he saw. And so I'm reading from Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. And so here we we pick up the story, and it says... Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. This is the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And she knelt down to ask him for something. Jesus, what do you want? He asked her. So these two guys, so the mother of of James and John, they were some of Jesus' inner circle guys, along with Peter. Those three guys seemed to be given some special opportunities that none of the other disciples got. And, you know, so she she asks for a little bit more. This is, it's actually an audacious request, what she says. And and she asked Jesus, she said, promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. this This is an audacious claim. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Talking to those men, and he's referring to suffering. Basically, are you, going to be able, are you guys going to suffer the way that I'm about to suffer? And I don't think they totally knew what he had in mind, because they said, We are able. We are able, they said to him. So he told them, You will indeed drink my cup. Th- those early disciples did experience a lot of pain as they followed Jesus. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give; instead, it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So here's the reason: this is an audacious request. This woman is asking Jesus to secure the two best seats in the entire universe for her sons. I mean, I I suppose, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would ask this or not. If I would want my kids, you know, I, I don't know. It's just. And in the Gospel of Mark, we see that in the way that it's written there, it's actually James and John themselves that are asking Jesus for this crazy high privilege. This, if Jesus were to grant this request, this would give these two guys a more privileged position than every other human being on the planet for all eternity. Why would somebody make such a request? Probably at the core, they probably thought they deserved it in some way. At least they're like, eh, you know, we're sort of Jesus' inner guys, and maybe, maybe he'll give us this. Why else would you try to put yourself ahead of the entire human race? How did this bold request land on the other guys? So the other, deci- the other 10 disciples were there, and they heard about this. In fact, 20, verse 24 says, When the 10 disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Indignant is a strong word, it means having your anger aroused at a great injustice. I have a picture of what it looks like to feel indignant. <laughs> the disciples, if it appears, the, uh, if not, you'll have to imagine it. Weak or no signal. I'm feeling indignant about that right now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're working out the kinks. Um, so maybe the disciples, they, they, were, they were mad and they, they, they probably thought, <laughs> maybe the reason they were so mad is like, oh, I was going to ask Jesus that. Oh, they beat me to it. Man, these turkeys, they just jumped the gun. Man. And those those two guys, they don't deserve it as much as me. Oh, we got it. there we go. Uh, so indignant. it's It's actually a pretty strong word. Sometimes you feel this way if you get cut off on the freeway, or uh, if you're if you're standing in line, and then somebody just steps right in front of you, you're like, "Oh, you can't do that. No, I deserve to be here. There's this idea of deserving what we deserve is something that we keep track of throughout life, and it gets us into a lot of trouble. So, you know, Prior, prior to this story, Jesus had to break up an argument the disciples were having about which one of them was the greatest. <laughs> so they they've got all kinds of ideas about what they deserve and what the rank is. It's crazy. But before we get all judgy about the disciples, and you know, think I would never do that. Once I was in an airport, last year and we were patiently standing in line with our tickets and it was one of the ones where you have to um, get in a good little position to get a good seat it was not it's not seated ahead and so we're ready to board and you know we worked hard to get a good spot near the front and another couple just stepped totally in the front they were in front of us but like right at at the very beginning and uh, their ticket was for a spot in the back and I'm like wait a second you can't do that and uh, they got away with it they boarded first ahead of everybody else got a nice comfy seat ahead of us and uh i know i'm a pastor but i'll have to admit i felt a sense of indignation kindle and i didn't i didn't say anything but i was drilling holes into the back of their head with my eyes i was just like oh you can't do that you know my indignation it felt justified you can't do that You can't just push yourself to the front and then get away with it. I was like, attendance, (laughs) somebody. You know, let's be honest. We tend to have a pretty clear idea about what we deserve versus what other people deserve. And we keep track of what we're owed. We tally up the good things that make ourselves so deserving. And we tally up the offensive things that other people do that make them less deserving. And we feel so justified. So Jesus calls these guys over and he says all right we gotta we gotta set this straight <laughs> verse 25 he says Jesus called them over and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them he's saying this this is what you guys are doing is how everyone does it this is how the world does it. This is everyone's approach to position and relationships and interacting and in our world if if you have fame or position the natural thing to do is to flaunt it. If you if you got a position that you think you deserve, just to look down on others. And leaders in our world tend to be domineering and boss people around. You've probably seen this happen in your own house if you have more than one kid. So you can have <laughs> siblings tend to boss each other around even though they have no real authority. The parents are authority, but somehow they just feel they need to take it upon themselves. and. Uh, You know what we have the desire to boss people around too it's not just kids and uh actually there was another time i was on a mission trip and uh serving one of our network churches in chico and we're doing a big work project i was leading the team on the big work project and um, there was a lot of grunt work a lot of landscaping a lot of digging out in the hot sun in the middle of summer one of the jobs was to drive the tractor around to, to do the loads and i was like well i'm the leader so i should drive the truck and everyone else can do the shoveling and um the Lord convicted me, and because and, uh, somebody else, you know, like, "Oh, it mind if we switch?" And I was like, "No, you can't." This is no. I'm the leader. I get the best. I'm like, "What am I doing?" I'm I'm falling into the same trap again. Think, just because I'm, I'm, if I'm the leader, I should be the first one to pick up the shovel and start doing the work. And uh, the word uses the word that Jesus used here, "lorded over them." It can be translated as domineering. Just uh, to flaunt it. To to maintain our position, to keep track of what we deserve, and make sure that no one threatens our position. And Jesus says, It must not be so. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Jesus, at this point, flips everyone on their heads. This approach is completely upside down to our natural instincts. This is the opposite of what we wanna do. This is, it, actually, to be a, a servant or a slave, which are words that we honestly don't really like all that much, it, it, sometimes it feels wrong for me to, to be the servant to other people when, we're the, when I'm the one that deserves it. Like, oh, I just it, it, this, this really is difficult for us to do. The the word servant here that Jesus uses, the the Greek word diakonos. It can be translated as, it can actually be translated as deacon, but another way that sometimes it's seen is table waiter. Someone that, so like a servant, Like imagine a servant is a table waiter. So imagine being at a fancy banquet where there's a lot of tables, really nice tablecloths, there's a big room, lots of really good food around, and there's a great production on the stage lots of impressive people on the stage, and during the event, there's table waiters that keep bringing food. And nobody really notices them. I mean, at least not until the iced tea pitcher is empty. And then, where, where come on, I'm thirsty. Bring the table waiter back over here. Jesus is saying, in all of your relationships, your job is to be that unnoticed servant in the background, doing menial labor, brewing iced tea, sweeping up messes, waiting on the needs of other people. He says, it's not your job to be the person at the banquet enjoying the food. If you're, if you're lucky, you'll get some of the scraps after the event's over. No, that's what that's, when, when he says servant, that's what we're thinking of. Low position, just nothing in it for me. The next word that it feels even more degrading, he says slave. Greek word doulos who would voluntarily want to be a slave? You know, when my kids get all grabby and start fighting, and, and we talk about this verse sometimes, and it's, it's hard to talk about this, because I'll tell my kids, you know, like, son, I know you don't like this, but your job is to be your sister's slave. He doesn't like that. My kids are like it. I don't like, we don't like that. We don't like this idea. That sounds so degrading, and you know, ask my kid, well, if, if your job is to be a slave to your, to your sibling right now, what would a slave do? They serve, they, it's, not, it's not about what's good for me right now. And when we ups apply the same thing to our relationships, to our spouse, to our coworkers, to our family members, it's really difficult and it's very humbling. The command to be servants and slaves is something that we, we we might want to push back on, like whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like I'm all for being loving and stuff, but, but this though, that's not right. It's, that's too degrading. But all of our arguments against Jesus get stripped away in a second because of the next thing that Jesus says. I'm gonna read it from actually the Gospel of Mark. Mark 1045, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As it turns out, Jesus was willing to be a lower-class slave than anyone else. The most deserving person in the universe took the lowest position on the planet, and he died for us. He even died for people that hated him and spit on him. He died on the cross for the very people that shoved thorns in his skull, lovingly and willingly. And throughout it all, we have no record of Jesus flaring up with hostile indignation. I mean, yeah, people exasperated him, and at times, you know, he had to, he had to live with people. But he, he didn't assert himself and be, get domineering. He was not, he's not domineering, but always serving. Slaving away for the good of others. What do servants and slaves do? Work. A lot of work. Slaves and servants do a lot of work for the benefit of others. And based on this text, my job today is to convince all of you to devote yourselves to unending, menial work for the benefit of others. This might not be my most popular message. <laughs> my, my message is go home and be slaves. But i got to tell you, there's when you approach life that way, though, it has a dramatic impact on our relationships to live as hard-working servants for others is to follow in the footsteps of jesus and he is leading us to very good things our primary goal if, if we do this if we serve others our, our goal primarily is to please him that's why we do it his example he did it first and he, you know he's our motivation and as we follow him, he returns blessing that most of this world has never experienced. So consider this, relational rest comes from relational work. I started talking about relationships. Sometimes you got a good ones, sometimes you got a bad ones, some are really difficult. And what I'm gonna say is that relational rest is when you spend time with people and it's enjoyable oh it's like the fresh air like these are good people to be around it's relaxed because there's trust and there's goodwill. most people don't live with that much relational rest most people are instinctively grabby and domineering and feel so deserving that i think most people are are more familiar with broken and tattered relationships our relationships Or or, or relationships that are filled with tension, or stress, or a lot of guilt. That that makes up a majority of human experience. The result is frustrated and indignant people on both sides, just like we see with the 12 disciples. And those guys, you know, those (laughs) disciples, they're probably probably glaring at each other, thinking like, I may have to walk next to you, but I don't have to like you. (laughs) Man... And uh, he's like, man, Jesus must have made a mistake when he picked this guy. Like, oh, i got to be with these other turkeys. If you want your life to really bring pleasure to God, and if you want to walk in the path that Jesus set for us, then you've got to be ready to say, I'll do whatever it takes to work at relationships and to serve others. What would that look like practically, though? In our church, we've got seven core values that shape the way that we relate to each other. We call them the heart attitudes. These are scriptural commands that guide our daily interactions. And we're gonna look at the first four values briefly today because these four values create a lot of peace in relationships. Really, this is a path to relational rest. but relational rest comes from relational work. All four of these things that we're gonna talk about take a lot of hard work. They require an intentional decision to lower ourselves in humility. First hard attitude that we have is to put the goals and interests of others above my own. So this value acknowledges that we often have desires that compete with other people. So you got things, you want, you want one thing, the other person, boy, turns out they want something different. What are we gonna do here? When things come to a head, I want what I want, she wants what she wants. Who's going to yield the right away? Who will decide to take the lower place in humility? Look at how, how well Jesus' words to his disciples resonate in this verse, in Philippians 2, 3-4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this practice... Is so hard. And this is a hard one to do. But it's so powerful. Actually, this this value transformed my marriage. This was the first hard attitude I considered putting into practice when I was a part of our sending church many years ago, and there is so much peace that has come into my life just from this one value. Hard attitude number two actually gets a little more hard. <laughs> this one says, live an honest, open life before others. So this means I'm not going to pretend I'm somebody that I'm not. The person that I'm representing to all of you on the outside is an accurate representation of who I really am on the inside. doesn't mean you know everything about me, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not projecting a different version of myself. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So, when it comes to this value, especially when it comes to relationships in the church, it's okay to open up gradually over time. You get more open about more personal things as trust deepens. But the main point is, from the start, I'm not going to play games. And I'm not going to hide who I really am. Heart at the number three is give and receive scriptural correction. This is an acknowledgement that we've all got blind spots. I might be unaware of an area something that i'm doing or a way that i'm talking to people that's that's hurting people that's offensive or just irritates people i may be unaware of that or or sometimes i do things intentionally but but scripture tells us we can be blinded by our own sin may, have you ever seen anybody that they're doing something damaging in relationships you're like i wish i could just tell them because we can all see it and they don't see it and this is making things a whole lot worse well hebrews 13 3 says to encourage one another daily. That word encourage has an edge of challenge to it. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So, because of this value, I'm really okay with people letting me know if I'm headed off track, or if I'm, if I'm, if I'm getting into things that are sinful and I don't realize it. Painful as this is, I've needed correction over the years. I've needed have leaders in my life. Actually, it doesn't even matter if they're leaders. They could be my own kids that point out things that's hurtful or that's sinful, and I've needed that. And if, if you've been corrected by anybody here at our church, if anybody in your life has corrected you here, you've probably felt this thing. But then you've probably also felt the blessing that comes from it afterward. Heart attitude number four is to clear up relationships. Now, when it comes to this value, this means our relationships are gonna get messed up. Your family relationships get messed up, you and your spouse, it gets all wonky and funky. At church, even even though there's a lot of good Christians at church, our relationships get messed up because we offend each other, we step on toes, we do things intentionally or unintentionally, and that just happens because we are all still a bunch of sinners. And we need this value because there's no games here with this, there's no room for games. The one who notices that there's a problem or an offense, either either you have offended or you have been offended, whoever notices it first takes the initiative to deal with it. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, like going to a place of worship, you're trying to worship God, imagine going to a church service, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled your brother and then come and offer your gift. This verse is amazing because it reveals God's priority that we have things straightened out with people even before we come and approach him and worship. That's a, that means he really, really cares about us having clear relationships. I like, I, like, I like being in a group where I walk into it and I'm not like, we're looking out for those eggshells, and like, ooh, you know avoid that person. I just wanna walk into a group like this and be like, as far as I know, we're clear, I'm good. There's no tension, there's, there's no stuff on the back burner that we're not talking about, we're clear. And if it's not, I wanna know so that we can get it cleared up. That's what Hard Attitude 4 is all about. So these are, this is actually a, a quick flyover of these four hard attitudes. Last year, we spent a few months teaching through all seven of these. But these values come up in our membership class because members of valley lights church commit to living this out not, not perfectly but working at them steadily over time so if you're a member of valley lights we expect these things to shine through your life if there's if you've committed as a member and, you, and you're not doing any one of these put the goals and interests of others being open and honest giving and receiving correction keeping things clear well, then you're not living up to your commitment. But as a member, you say, like, no, we're going to work on this. Actually, it might take the rest of my life to get good at these, but i want to work on it. And if you've been practicing, if you have been putting these into practice, you know it takes work. These things are hard. To be open and honest about things going on in your life, that takes intentional work. Or to clear things up when you'd really rather not have that conversation, that takes work. That's why we say when relational rest... Comes from relational work. So I'll, I'll just throw this out there. We we started this church, and the first reason is because God said to, God called me to plant this church. Um, the second reason is we want we wanted to do something that was going to help more people come find Christ and learn how to walk with Him. But the third reason, and sometimes it almost it, it feels almost as significant as those other two, is. we we wanted to start a church where we can create an environment where these values are happening because i'm going to be honest i've been in a lot of relationships where these things are not happening people are damaging each other things are not being talked about tensions are flaring things go unclear there's grudges for years i've been i've experienced that in families in friendships in churches and it's not good (laughs) and we, we were part of a church our sending church it was the first place where i learned how to do things in a healthy way I'm like, man, this is like a breath of fresh air. I love these people. They're not perfect, but this is, this is a good group to be with. And I thought, I want to I start a church where more people can experience life in God's kingdom and experience how good his ways are. So these, these hard attitudes, they mean a lot to us. And those that have bought into them agree that this is, this is a big part of who we are. It's worth the work many people here have discovered what a delight there can be in relationships. So this is a major focus of Valley and Lights. A lot, of, a lot of churches emphasize different things. But this is a big thing that we emphasize. It's, it's building healthy relationships and really carefully obeying God's commands for biblical community. So if you think about Peter, he's one of the disciples. And he's got, you know, that Famous story where he was walking on the water, and uh, he, he had he had moments where he had to really trust the Lord and and believe who Jesus was. He became a leader, but he was one of those ten guys who was angry and indignant. In fact, you know, some people say that Peter had like this real robust personality. Maybe he was the most indignant. Maybe he was the one that was like ready to knock down the other guy. He he was probably going to do Jesus a favor and knock those other two guys off their high horses. that's my guess and then Jesus leads all these guys Peter included and Jesus who's Peter's mentor courageous mentor and a very close friend by this time Jesus did the unthinkable and Jesus carried his own cross of death up a hill was nailed to it and bled all over it and died with the weight of the world's sins on his shoulders And Peter watched all that happen. Peter realized, Jesus died for me. Jesus was a servant. He was a slave for me. And for all of us. Jesus did that for all of us. By that time, by the time Peter saw Jesus do all of that, his perspective finally flipped. And we have a letter that Peter wrote. In the closing of his letter, he he spoke to some elders. These were people that have real position of authority over others. And look at what he says. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Basically, I witness Jesus' life of servanthood and sacrifice to a pain, to great pain. He says, in that position, as well as when he shares in the glory about to be revealed, he says, shepherd God's flock among you, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Turns out Jesus he he uses that same Greek word that Jesus used for not lording it over, which means he was listening to Jesus and it finally sunk in. He really internalized this message that Jesus said. No, like you you guys, this is not how it's going to be with you guys. You guys are gonna do it different than the world now. Peter embraced that, and actually I love what he says next. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The the word clothing is used is because sometimes the humility required in relationship doesn't come from inside you. It means you just put it on. Maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe you wake up, I'm just gonna be in my comfy clothes today. (laughs) Sometimes your comfy clothes need to be changed and you need to put on something like humility and intentionally wear the right clothing when you step into a relationship. A lot of times it's a choice. By God's grace and his help, we can do what's right. So I really, I really appreciate Peter. I bet I bet that he spent the rest of his life voluntarily serving others, just like his master. God spoke through Peter. And, and I've memorized some of these very verses that have helped me profoundly in my own journey of lowering myself to servant status. Because it is not easy. Sometimes... The only motivation I got is God's words, His Scripture in my head, leading me towards that. So those people at the airport that stepped in front of us, I couldn't get away from them. I, we go in the airplane and they're like just a few seats away from them. I'm like, oh, there they are. And uh, I'm like, so we we go on this flight. I get off the plane. I'm like, all right. And then we're all walking. So and then we're waiting for bags. I'm like, oh, they're right there again. <laughs> uh, I'm like, all right, got our bags. And then we go waiting for a shuttle. Our shuttle comes, and they get on the shuttle. I'm like, I can't get away from these people. And so here we are in this tiny shuttle, staring at each other. And um, by this time, though, I could see what God was doing. And uh, I felt so indignant and arrogant and deserving, and God wasn't going to let me harbor an arrogant, self-important pride. So I knew. I knew what God was doing. And I didn't want to fail the test and displease the Master. So... I drew strength from the example of Jesus, and um, I, in, in my heart, I, I, you know, I, I forgave them. It feels petty to even mention, but I, I forgave them for the offense that I felt, and I just started a friendly conversation. We talked with them, and they didn't have to know the way that I felt, but I, I, I released that. And it was, a, it was just a moment when, and I, I, in, in the course of daily life, there may be moments that God allows you to be confronted with your own pride. In your own moments and relationships where you're so sure about what you deserve. And he'll, he'll give you a chance to do it differently. So let me give you a few next steps to consider today. One thing you might do in response to this message is to pray and ask Jesus for help in adopting his servant mindset. We do need his help. We do clothe ourselves in humility, but boy, do we need his help. And I'd actually recommend memorizing Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a lot of power in having that stored up in your heart. Another next step you might consider is, maybe look over your sheet and identify one of those first four heart attitudes to put into practice this week. Maybe you need to be open about something. Maybe you have a relationship that needs to get cleared up. Maybe, you and that other person want different things and you just need to lower yourself. Whatever it is, maybe, maybe put one of those into practice. I can tell you, if you do, you'll be blessed. If that characterizes your life, you'll be very blessed. Another next step you might consider is to invite one more person to experience this type of relational community. Maybe, maybe you know a little bit about what it's like to live relationships in the kingdom of God. We'll invite more people. We, we go through a lot of work to be here, to set this up, and we want more people to be a part of what, what God is doing. So an, invite somebody. Maybe you know somebody that would benefit. And then another last next step would be to explore membership at Valley Lights. Maybe you'd like to commit to being a part of the body here. We'll have, it's about, it's about probably about a month away, but we're going to have a membership class where you can learn more about our values, all of them, who we are, or mission, and how you can commit to that. Next week, we're going to continue this series looking at life in God's kingdom and how it is so refreshingly different. And I hope you come back and join us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for um, Jesus, for, for your incredible example of servanthood, of being willing to pay the ultimate price for our benefit. It's, it is a blessing we have never deserved. And... There's tremendous power in it. For those that are considering what it would even be like to follow you, I pray that you bring clarity to their minds about how to surrender, to to admit sin, to turn away from it, turn to you, and to yield to you as Lord. And I pray also that you would allow our community to be very pleasing to you as we put your kingdom commands into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.